Welcome back to Bootability, a weekly interview series about the amazing ability we all have to change our lives and the world if we're brave enough to tap into it. I'm your host, Jihi Jolly. Today's episode is about the power of believing in yourself, even if the people around you don't. Having the courage to pursue the life you want isn't easy, and it's especially hard when the people around you put you in a box or limit what they believe you can do. But Buddhism teaches us how to live a life of unlimited courage. Our guest today is Jenny Ye, a young woman in Michigan who started her SGI Nichiren Buddhist practice, which is based on chanting Nam-myoho Renge-kyo back in South Korea. After being given little choice about her career options because of her gender, she decided to chant to transform her relationship with her family and believe in her own dreams. Today, she shares that journey and how, after conquering her fears back home, she was able to navigate entering a male-dominated industry in the U.S. where she faced similar disbelief. But she won over it all. Here's Jenny. So, so happy to be here. I am Jenny Ye, and I am, I just turned 26 this year, and I live in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Amazing. And what do you do in Ann Arbor? Yes, so I am working at the university here as a software developer. So I'm a staff here and I develop education tools for students, not only in Michigan, but that's widely used in other institutions, mostly universities um, across the United States and um, also in other countries. So yes, I work as a developer. Oh, wow. Okay, amazing. Um, So I wanted to start maybe like at the beginning with you, because I know that um, you grew up in Korea and you sort of encountered Buddhism there. So can you just tell me, you know, how and why you started practicing SGI Nichiren Buddhism? Yes. (laughs) So I was actually born and raised in a family who uh, was practicing this Buddhism for generations. So my mom's side of the family has been practicing SGI Nichiren Buddhism for multiple generations, but my dad's side of the family uh, isn't. So my mom was practicing, but my dad wasn't. And I started seriously chanting uh, when I was really chanting to get into a high school that I really wanted to go <laughs> in a capital city, Seoul, South Korea. I grew up in kind of a rural area. And so I always kind of dreamed of like going to a big city. And so I started chanting for that. Um, so that's why I seriously started chanting for myself. But I think I always had this mixed feelings of enchanting and this practice because um you know my i really struggled with my dad who was strongly against our practice ever since he was uh, unemployed uh due to um like asian financial crisis in 1997 so he was unemployed for several years and Mm -hmm. his coping mechanism was alcohol so he would um, not like support my mom's practice. And so I always had this feeling of like, oh, I feel so afraid to chant, but at the same time I knew it's working. So I don't think I ever fully accepted that I was a practicing Buddhist member. <laughs> I was just born into this practice and I knew this was working, but I've never been open about it a lot. 
Wow, how interesting. And also how tough that sounds. But when you say um, you you knew that it worked, even like at that young age, how did you how did you know or what made you feel like oh, this is something I, I want to do? Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, so whenever my dad would you know, have abusive (laughs) yellings or, you know, even sometimes physically abusive to my mom or my family. I saw my mom always chanting at the back of our room. And I knew deep in my heart that was something like chanting was the only thing that was sustaining my mom's um, life and really how she would overcome all the struggles that she faced in our family. So I knew my our chanting was so integral part of my life and my mom and also my family. And so and also I would chant, you know, before my exam and I would get good grades and everything. So, yeah, I knew this was working. Um, yeah, when I was a child. Yeah, that's so yeah. powerful. I mean, that's also a lot to experience at such a young age or a lot to witness, you know. Um, mm-hmm. May I ask like how did that situation sort of change over time with your with your family? Right. So it didn't really change until I actually um, graduated from high school. <laughs> so I went to this boarding school in Seoul. Um, so I would I was not living with my family for three years when I was in high school. So and then uh, when it was time for me to apply for colleges, my dad actually forced me to apply for certain schools that he wanted me to apply. So that's why I feel like this, um, like I kind of faced this reality. And um, my dad told me that females can only become a teacher or nurse so that they can have a solid job. And I felt so betrayed uh, from my family because I would always get encouraged to dream big from my teachers or, you know, whenever I go to SGI meetings, you know, all the time, like I was encouraged to dream whatever I want to do. And all of a sudden I was put into this reality of like, I'm not able to think of my dreams anymore. And all of all of my situations seemed to be sort of predetermined. And my dad, my relationship with my dad played a key part in that because I felt like, oh, wow, my dad's always giving me struggles. Like ever since I was I was child and I went to, you know, this is my time to decide on my future. And my dad always steps in and he never wants me to do whatever I want to do. And so I think at that time, I really struggled a lot with my dad And that was the first time I had to really face this reality because I wanted to go to the boarding school because I could stay away from my dad. But all of a sudden, it was after three years, I came back and um, I just had to face this reality again. So that was the time when I was really seriously started chanting. But at the same time, I reached out to my um, friend in faith when who always would encourage me ever since I was a kid. You know, she always made sure that I was doing well, um, even though when I was struggling. So I reached out to her and she told me, why don't you chant for your dad's happiness? And I really didn't want to do that because that like my dad was the sole reason for me at that time was the reason why I was suffering so much. And so I, um, but at the same time, I didn't know what to do because you know, my reality didn't really seem to be changed over time. 
So I decided to chant for my dad's happiness. And since then, you know, it took me a lot of times and chanting and of course, a lot of, you know, realization. But I remember one day I was chanting and realized this is my dad's first time being a dad too. <laughs> this is my <laughs> first time being a daughter of him. And also, you know, I realized how much he, you know, he never gave up on himself and never gave up on our family, you know, throughout all ups and downs of his life. And, you know, whatever happened, he he did his best to support our family and to reach that sort of deep realization it required me a lot of chanting in front of in from the gohonzon which is the scroll that uh, we receive when we become sj member um so with chanting i for my my dad's happiness i came to realize how much he has done for our family and like for the first time i felt this deep appreciation for him and not also faking it because it was coming from my own life and my own realization so mm. oh yeah. my goodness that's a really really profound experience to have so young you know I I mean I can only imagine the anger and the hurt that you were carrying and to be able to reach that kind of compassion just from chanting is incredible <laughs> Yeah. No, definitely required a lot of like, oh, why am I chanting for my dad's happiness? And into like, yes, like I share something deep on with him. That's why I'm his daughter. And like, I definitely had this back and forth. But, um, you know, all throughout, I knew that um, I knew that I was supported by some somehow, some way from my family and also the community, my SGI community. So, mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I'm already so encouraged, oh my goodness, by everything that you're saying. Um, but I know that there's so much more to this story. So so basically, um, what I'm hearing from you is that you really, pretty young, had this experience of chanting and then seeing, like being able to unlock something in your life that you didn't even realize was there, which is amazing because we say so much, you know, bootability is this courage, this wisdom, this compassion that we have in our life and we can pull it out. And I, I'm just amazed that you had that experience so young. Um, so how did that sort of impact what you decided to do next for your career? Because you aren't a teacher or a nurse <laughs> and now you're in the U.S. So, yeah, what happened next? Right. So this was also deeply rooted in my realization about how much I appreciate my dad. And so before, you know, even my grandmother, my dad's mom, <laughs> she would tell me like, I wish you were a boy. And, you know, I always kind of started harder because I wanted to prove that I'm right. And all these people who are not believing in myself are wrong. And so I basically functioned from that place of like, begrudging or anger um, but because I had this realization I was able to function from sort of like a compassion and so I would study harder and chant about my what I really wanted to do deeply um, and from a place of compassion which is you know I really want to show other people that um, you know whatever the situation is people like you can do whatever you want and uh, with everyone's full support I didn't want to pursue something that would make um, my dad or 
you know, everyone else in like around me to like concern about me or, you know, being unhappy. So I started to chant for um, what is something that I can do uh, with my ability deeply. And um, yes, I am not a teacher right now. Um, I came to realize that uh, I've always wanted to study something more tangible, not saying that teaching is not tangible, but something more um, I can learn and create something. Mm. And computer science was one of that, that um, I can learn something that I can, I can create anything out of this programming language that I learned. And so I didn't think much when I decided to pursue computer science. It was just that I had this deep conviction that if I put myself um, into this, um, if I put my heart and my all my efforts to it with my chanting, I knew whatever the obstacles that I would face studying for this um, new field I would be able to, you know, do it <laughs> without too much difficulty. So this deep conviction really helped me to realize what I eventually wanted to pursue. Mm, oh my gosh. Yeah. And how did you decide to leave Korea then and come to the U.S.? And what was that? Like, yeah, what were your sort of first steps? Right, right. And so I stayed at that college that my dad put me into, although I started very begrudgingly. Um, but over time, I had this, you know, sort of compassion toward my dad. And I really chanted about what can I do at this point of my life? And so I decided to pursue study abroad program um, to the United States. And then I spent a year in uh, Omaha, Nebraska, which was, um, that was the only school that my previous Korean college would offer me to stay in the U.S. So I uh, came to the United States as a study abroad student, but eventually I decided to transfer to another university, which mm. is the university that I eventually got my degree, bachelor's degree. So um, I think I decided to pursue, like I decided to come to the U.S. because um, I know that I would be able to do anything, but I didn't want to simply avoid my situation, if it makes sense. And so I searched for the ways that I can do at this point in my life. And studying abroad was one of them. So I just decided to study in the, in the U.S. Yes. Oh, my goodness. And was your family OK with that? Yeah, so surprisingly, um, at that point, I was like really having a great relationship with my dad. You know, we would go to mountain climbings every weekend. And of course, you know, there were some moments I still didn't understand my dad, but we had a good relationship at that time and i think over time what chanting really brought me was like this conviction and courage to share whatever in my heart and because i was so fearful of my dad growing up i didn't really express what i wanted to do actually and mm -hmm. so i was able to summon up the courage to share that i wanted to pursue you know i wanted to study in um in the united states and this time my dad like totally supported me uh, because he because he knew deep in his art and I also you know had a great dialogue with him for the first time about my future so wow oh my yeah. goodness that is really inspiring <laughs> I mean that's like such a huge transformation from from before and to have the courage to do that um I see okay so you ended up completing your bachelor's then in the U.S. and then you pursued this kind of path um 
to computer science and the work that you do now. But I'm curious, you know, when you arrived in the U.S., what was that experience like? Um, I imagine, you know, it wasn't always easy and just completely new country and a new path for yourself, even departing from your family. So, yeah, what was that like? Yeah, so when I first came to the U.S., I was um, I was doing my studies in a big public university and a lot of the undergrads were you know they knew each other in from since high school and because I transferred and I didn't have that freshman experience where you would make a lot of friends in like the dorms or you know in other campus communities and I didn't have that and so I just kind of like I was in this big lecture hall where actually still computer science is very male-dominated field and and I went to this big lecture hall and I saw like a couple other female students and like a tons of other male students, including my professors. I felt like very, I don't belong here, honestly. Mm-hmm. And um, there was some situation where I felt like, oh, maybe I was not meant to do this at all. And so I definitely feel like an outsider when I first came here and even though I was studying something that I really wanted to do, I always questioned myself, is this something that I can I can do it? Am I capable of doing this? So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that sounds really challenging. And um, I remember when we spoke on the phone, you were sharing like there was also this like feeling of being an outsider. Um, was that just specifically related to the field of computer science or was it also just being a, a student here? How did you sort of feel? Yeah, I think it was both, um, you know, whenever I go to like, I was so interested in robotics growing up. So I was so excited to, you know, attend this uh, student campus club for robotics. And then the first few, honestly, that most of the times, like nobody ever talked to me at all. And I don't know if that was just because I was only like, one out of three female students in like this big student club or um, like whether I don't know whether it was because I wasn't you know like American citizen and I didn't have this connections with uh, with my student peers in that campus club or whether I was like only a few female students there I don't know but I just feel like I am so different than others in this community a small community and um, I had this moment where like I I brought uh, there was like a re- resume review session for students and like one of the uh, the professional software developers saw my resume and this person straight up told me like you cannot get a job as a software developer because you know you have only two years as a student and all of your peers are getting um, already had two three internships in like Silicon Valley and you're never ever <laughs> gonna be able to get a job <laughs> after um, you graduate from high uh, from college, and and so all of that like experiences combined, I feel like maybe yeah, I I definitely feel like I'm an outsider. Um, mm. If it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I can only yeah. imagine, especially already growing up and getting the message that you know girls can do X, Y, and Z, and that's it. Um, 
if you already had received that message and then you come to a foreign country and enter a male-dominated field like <laughs> that's like the hardest path you know you could have chosen um so how did you how did you chant about it or what role did your buddhist practice play in navigating this right so my biggest prayer at that time um so i'm thinking about the day when i went to this resume review session and somebody told me that i wouldn't be able to get a job and so i came back to my place the only thing that i knew or the only thing that i could do at that time was to chant so i started chanting about this so deeply just battling about like my insecurity and feeling incapable of doing anything and i started to chant and realize um you know, I have this practice, I have uh, my SGI community who is always embracing me, um, like regardless of how I look or how I speak. And um, I have this incredible mentor in my life who constantly, constantly encourages me that I have unlimited potentials and I have a unique mission in life. And mm -hmm. so uh, by chanting and revealing that innate wisdom, courage and compassion, uh, when my external situation wasn't encouraging me, um, I think that moment I really faced my life and really reaffirmed for myself, telling myself that I am here for a reason and I am capable of doing anything if I believe in it, if I believe in myself. So I think I chanted a lot that night to really just like overcome this feeling of um, hopelessness sort of mm. say yeah yeah that's amazing and and then you ended up getting a job when you graduated <laughs> what was that kind of process like yeah so um so that night actually if I didn't chant enough to the point that I can challenge myself more um I wouldn't be able to get this job because I um, applied for this job only after a few days after I had that incident and you know um also like I had an internship at the company, but then they canceled my job offer because I was not an American citizen. So all that combined, like I realized, okay, like regardless what my external situation tell me, I need to keep striving. Um, but that was only possible because I was chanting whenever that uh, sort of those things happen in my life. And so um, I decided to write down everything that I wanted for my job. Like, even though somebody told me that I wouldn't be able to become a software developer, I just wrote down everything, like my dream job. Like I wanted to work at uh, uh, a place where I can develop a tool for education. And I wanted to uh, use this specific programming languages and my company would definitely support my visa and all these like at that, um, after that chanting, I wrote down everything that I wanted. I didn't compromise anything. Mm -hmm. And then because I determined that I didn't want to, you know, sway by all these external situation and I determined to reveal my own Buddha ability with my chanting, I was able to push through a little bit more each day. And that was, um, I think that was the crucial moment for my life, whether I give up on myself or not. And um, yes, yeah, so <laughs> yes, now I'm working at a perfect place for my dream and I love my work and my workplace. All my colleagues are so amazing and I'm working with the software that I really wanted to work on, like <laughs> exact programming language and everything. So yes. Wow. 
That's incredible. Your your spirit, like your, um, you know, earlier when you said that you really developed this conviction when you were younger, um, I I can feel it. Like I I see exactly what you mean because there's so many moments along the way where you could have just given up and said this is not going to work out. Why did I do this? And you didn't, which is you know of course what bootability is, but not easy, you know, to tap into. Mm-hmm. So thank you for sharing all of that. Um. So I'm thinking like in this whole journey, was there any sort of Buddhist concept or guidance or like teaching that you really held on to? Because of course, Buddhism is about chanting, but it's also about studying and really trying to apply the philosophy. So yeah, like what were you sort of studying at the time? Yes. So I studied, um, I really, this concept of cherry, peach, plum, and damson flowers in this Buddhist, uh, one of the Buddhist concepts, which essentially means that every single person has a unique talent and ability. And uh, we say mission, which is purpose in our life, mm. that every single person has. And uh, whenever I question myself, like, am I, am I able to do this? Or, you know, even sometimes as a you know, professional software developer, I question myself, like, can I wear this earrings? Or, you know, like, sometimes I, you know, can I smile at this point? Like, I didn't want to be seen as someone who's like, you know, I I had this persona in myself, like, I cannot be seen as weak um, woman Mm -hmm. in this field. Um, But at the same time, like, as I'm working, um, I realized with this Buddhist concept of cherry, peach, plum, and damson flower, you know, all my personality, unique ability, um, all reach, you know, all can become a positive quality of mine if I chant and practice this Buddhism. So, you know, even, even like, you know, sometimes people have this imagery of like software developer being like a person who's like always like gung-ho, you know, so mathematics and like, but my, my sort of unique ability to like be sensitive about others and be able to work with other people, uh, be able to collaborate a lot with my teammates, all that um, talents of my unique talents of mine, which I used to think of as a weakness. But now uh, when I embrace that, this is my, <laughs> this is my unique personality, I think it all becomes to like a strength of my life. And I know like my colleagues appreciate my positivity, which I thought like, I cannot smile at my workplace, or I cannot like share my uh, weakness with others, because I don't want to be seen like that way. But um, yes, I don't know if it makes sense. Yeah, that's amazing. I really love that. And that's a huge, huge turnaround because it's it's true. Like sometimes when you really work hard to make it in a space that you are different from other people, it's so easy to just sort of set aside your personality and your individuality and just do everything you can to fit in. But that's not a recipe for happiness. <laughs> so yeah, that's, can I just ask you to um, explain the, I know that the cherry um, peach plum damson comes from a quote, but maybe if people haven't sort of heard it before, um, right. like what, if you could just break down kind of what the concept means. Yes. Yes. So um, yeah. So cherry peach plum dam- and damson, it just represents like how each, each flower blossom in its own way. Like cherry 
tree cannot become a peach tree, but cherry tree has its own unique talent and beauty in itself. And I think for me too, even though I wouldn't, I might not be the most, you know, smart developer or the most amazing um, a student in my classroom when I was studying computer science, but I, I, this quote really helped me to um, believe in myself that I have my unique talent that I can really use in this field and that I, there is a unique reason that why I'm here as sort of like maybe I'm a peach tree and not, I, I, I can't um, envy somebody who's cherry tree. There is no point of doing that. So mm. I don't know if that makes That's sense. That's beautiful. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. And um, yeah, I can I can see like how that's what I, I love about Buddhism too. These concepts are actually so easy to apply to your own life. If you really think about like, okay, what does that mean in my context? And yeah, just to be able to be yourself um, it's it's it requires believing in yourself, which is really hard. But I'm just amazed at how you manifested all of this. <laughs> it's really encouraging. Um, so is is there anything now? You know, having gone through these experiences um, first, you know, at such a young age, and then again, you know, um, kind of finding your place in your field. What is there anything that you're currently pursuing or sort of dreaming about next for the future? Yes, this is such a great and broad question that I'm always, you know, questioning myself too. But whatever it looks like, whether it is, you know, robotics or, you know, web development, I really want to um, create a software that can help people who are underrepresented or people um, to unite people, not um, divide people. Um, technology, I feel like it can be used in many different ways, but um, I think we need more people to use it better for humanity and the society. So I'd like to contribute to that. Um, not sure how that'll look like, but that's kind of my dream. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And again, such a good example of only because of your own life experiences and who you are, will you be able to do that? You know, not anybody... Not anybody can. It's a nice thing to say, but like when we're in touch with our own, um, it, it, it makes me think of the Buddhist concept of karma into mission. Like whatever cards you were dealt or experiences you happen to have can actually become your purpose. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It makes me think, if I may ask, you know, like um, how does your your dad or your grandma who told you these things of like, you know, you can only be in this kind of career or I wish you were a boy. What do they think of what you're doing now? My dad, he loves me being a software developer right now. And my my grandmother, she doesn't understand what I do, um, but she always encourages me to become happy. And I think that was because before when she used to tell me like, I wish you were a boy, I, re- I realized she's also a victim of, not a victim, but she also had to go through that sort of culture of like her being not uh, respected as a human being fully just because she's a, she was a woman. So I developed this co- like deep compassion toward my grandmother. And at this moment, like whatever she shares, I can just sort of like take it as, um, uh, I don't like, I don't take it as, um, 
an offense for me. I just take it as, oh wow, my grandmother just deeply concerns about me. And I think this was because I'm, you know, chanting for everyone's happiness. Um, mm. So. Wow, yeah, chanting for people's happiness is really powerful. <laughs> how does um how is your dad feeling about Buddhism now? So my dad, I went I I visited my family 2 years ago and we had this family dinner and um my mom's my grandmother, my mom's side, she, you know, just casually asked my dad like, "How do you feel about practicing Buddhism?" <laughs> And he said, I don't think I would be this happy if it were not this practice. Even though he doesn't chant right now, he just huh. shared like, I don't think I would be this happy without, you know, my mom chanting or my family chanting. So I definitely feel like there is something deep transformed in my in my family and my dad. And wow. I just, yeah, feel so happy that he's happy. You know? <laughs> that gave me chills. That's amazing. That's like, uh, I, I always feel that way. I mean, of course, you know, you feel the benefits of chanting and we all have these amazing personal experiences, but there's nothing like the people in your environment witnessing it and feeling mm -hmm. like, wow, you know, something has shifted. It's just, it's really amazing. So, wow, yeah. congratulations. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so I want to be mindful of time and maybe just ask um, one final question. Um, so I always close the show with a piece of advice. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, you've experienced or you've talked about this in so many different ways already, but, you know, at the end of the day, believing in ourselves is so hard. And I'm wondering what advice you would give to someone who's listening, who might be very new to Buddhism. Um, maybe they just started chanting or they're thinking about chanting, but maybe they're struggling with a similar challenge of what you experienced, you know, their environment sort of telling them what they are or aren't capable of. What kind of advice would you give them? Yes, I need this advice for myself. So I'm basically <laughs> telling to myself but one thing that I'm so grateful for this practice is that it has such a warm, embracing community. So whenever, like, when I was in Omaha, Nebraska, I had this wonderful SGI family who would always support me in Wisconsin and now in Michigan. And so one great thing about this practice is that you can find the most amazing community who can always cheer for you, um, regardless of how you look or how you think. Um, you know, there are always people who is ready to support. So I think the most um, biggest part for me to be able to push through whenever there was an obstacle in my life was because I was deeply connected with my SGI community in my local district. So definitely, if you haven't already, or if you're thinking of, definitely connect with your, um, it doesn't have to be SGI community yet, but whoever you trust, please definitely share your struggles openly and and find somebody, um, you know, who really believes in you. And even if there is nobody um, right around you right now, um, there is always in your heart that um, who's always cheering for you. <laughs> um, so, yes, definitely um, just trusting that there are so many people around you who are deeply concerned about your happiness. So. Yeah. 
Jenny's example really re-inspired me to chant Namyoho Renge Kyo about my deepest fears and dreams. It's too easy to live our lives based on what other people expect of us or limit us to. Tapping into your bootability, that is, great conviction in your own life and purpose, can open doors you never even imagined. After we spoke, Jenny shared one more quote from Daisaku Ikeda with me that I absolutely loved. It reads, To believe in your own mind is especially important when you're young. It's difficult to trust one's mind. This is particularly true during one's youth, a time of emotional turmoil and confusion. We all need to have something we believe in, such as, I have the gohonzon, therefore, I will be able to overcome any problem. Everything will be fine. If you have such firm conviction, you can do anything. And for those who just completed August's 31-day chanting challenge, congratulations. We're excited to hear your stories. We'll be back next week with a special episode. But in the meantime, if you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a rating or a review on whichever podcast app you use as this helps the show get discovered. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week.